The last few weeks we've been talking about Jesus and uh, the importance of Christian fellowship. And we spent three weeks looking at different Pharisee encounters uh, where Jesus dealt with their reaction to the ministry that God had sent him. This morning I want us to go back to Mark chapter 1 uh, and uh, talk about his priorities. I think I have the wrong verse up there, but that's okay. Even the wrong title. I messed up the first page. I hope the rest of it's good. We'll find out here in a minute. But in chapter 1 of uh, Mark, what we find is the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And we find a number of things that have happened in that chapter. We see the baptism of Jesus. We see the temptation he faced in the wilderness. We see him call his first disciples to become followers of his with that simple phrase, follow me. And then we see a man was healed of a demon possession. And that happened when Jesus and his uh, disciples were at Sabbath services. Now, remember, in the Jewish culture, the Sabbath service would be on Friday evening because the day began at sunset, and they would have their service on Friday evening, and then Saturday would be the Sabbath, and then by the time you got to sunset, the day was over, and it was now Sunday. Now, you and I think that's weird because for us, Sunday begins at midnight. That's our cultural reference, but theirs was different. And after Jesus and his disciples had left uh, the Sabbath services, they headed over to Simon and Andrew's home uh, there at Capernaum, and Simon's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever. Uh, We won't have any mother-in-law jokes this morning. You're welcome. But anyway, they went into that moment, and Jesus healed him, healed her and set her free of her illness. And then as the sun began to set that Saturday afternoon, the travel restrictions of the culture, and that's what they had in that day, and they still suffer that to some extent in Israel today, but they began to be lifted as the sun went down and things got interesting. And in this few verses, Jesus presents to us, I believe, four pillars or priorities, if you will, of his ministry. And I think they can serve as a role model for us as we follow the Lord Jesus in our lives today and how they relate to the idea of fellowship. So begin with verse 32. I got that page right. Good. It says this. That evening at sundown, they brought all to Jesus, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, as the Sabbath came to a close, Jesus' good works have been shared across the region. People have begun to hear how he's working and doing and ministering and caring and delivering people from illness, setting them free from demonic oppression and possessions. And so at the day coming to an end, they said, we want some of that. We want to get that. And so they began to head towards the home where he was staying. Now, you're thinking the whole town was there. It says the whole city. Capernaum was probably a town of, or a village of hundreds in that day. It wasn't a town of thousands. But still, can you imagine three or 400 people show up at your front door? That'd be an interesting experience, wouldn't it? But that's what's the situation. And what we find here is the first thing that Jesus, I believe, was called, and he shares his calling, was to care for the oppressed. You see, both groups mentioned in this passage had Oppression, you're going, well, I see the spiritual oppression in a demon possession. Well, physical oppression can also be very debilitating, can't it? Remember the last time you were sick 
and you couldn't get up and couldn't get going, you sure would pray for what? Deliverance. Uh, We found out our daughter in Fort Worth was sick this week, and we thought we were going to have to go down there and resurrect her from the dead because she'd got a touch of food poisoning. Our daughter's not a good sick. But anyway, that's our issue. But the reality is all of us face struggles, and Jesus' calling was to be there to care for those who were, in general, oppressed, whether it was physical ailment, spiritual ailment, whatever. He says, I'm here for them. And by doing that, Jesus would come into the moment, meet the need, and he would earn the right to share the good news to them. As they've been set free, they were able to listen to him in that moment. Second, Jesus committed himself to prayer. Look at verse 35. See, at first glance, these verses seem to be kind of a disjointed connection of things, but they're really not. They're actually, I think, a revelation of who he is. Look at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there prayed. What he did is he committed himself to prayer. That's the second pillar of his life, the important aspect. I don't know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are early risers? You love to get up early in the morning. You love to see the sun come up. You love to see things happen. See, some of you are going, man, sun come. The world is better when it opens at noon, right? But some of us are up, aren't we? At four, aren't we? Because I typically am four, four thirty, five in the morning. I wait for the sun to come up. In the wintertime, it seems like it's never going to come up, does it? He just kind of waits and waits and waits. But I want you to understand that I don't think Jesus is saying you have to be an early morning riser to have a relationship with God. What he's talking about here and modeling here for us is the importance of having a life committed to prayer, of coming into God's presence on a regular basis. Notice he made it a commitment, made it a priority to come up early, to get aside, to go into a quiet place, to get in front of the Lord before God and to speak with him about what's going on in his life. Now, stop for a second and think of anybody who probably didn't need to pray. It might have been Jesus, right? And yet Jesus models the importance of communication with God the Father on a regular basis. Think back to what Jesus had just gone through. He, remember, he's not just 100% God. He's also 100% man. He had just spent the day doing a lot of pretty cool stuff. He had healed a guy. He'd probably spoken at the service. He had been healed uh, the mother-in-law of, 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 of the man. He had taken care of those things. And it would have been very uh, understandable to say, I'm taking a day off. I've been busy. You remember, Jesus got in a boat once, and he did what? Fell asleep. So Jesus needed to be recharged. But in the face of a successful day, it would have also been tempting to him to say, huh, look what we're doing. Look how great we are. And instead he says, no, I'm going to God the Father. I'm going to spend time in his presence. I'm going to communicate with him and be close to him as well. So first care, was care for the pressed. Second is committed to himself, committed himself to prayer. The third is in verse 36. Look at this. And Simon... And those who were with him searched for him. Now, that word search is an interesting Greek word. It carries the idea of impatience. Now, I used to have a struggle to keep up with my keys. Any of you have that problem? You go, where are my car keys? But I finally developed a system where I have a hook, and I put it by the door when I come in, and almost without fail, they're when you hang them there, they're still there when you come back, right? But the idea of losing something and looking for something is the idea that's carried in this passage. He says he searched for them. He was frantic looking for them. He's got, I've got to have you. It's an impatient. I've got to have you now. You, got, we, we, you know the feeling. That's the idea. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. 
They were impatient for him. They were needing him. They were wanting him to show what's next. And when they found him, they said, everybody's looking for you. How do you react to that when someone's first word to you is not, hey, how are you? How's your day going? You look nice today. But instead, everybody's looking for you. There's an impatience in this verse that I want you to see. They didn't come to him and say, Jesus, we missed you. This is more of a complaint than a, again, compassion. It's more anger than appreciation. And it's interesting how quickly even these men who have been called by Jesus to follow him as disciples fall back into the trap that we all struggle with of selfish expectation that says, I want what I want. I want what I need. I demand what I need to have. And that's what they're looking for. There's a temptation here for Jesus to step up and to fix the problems of the world. Have you ever noticed that every time you get a problem fixed, what happens not too long afterwards? Another problem comes up. And you get that one fixed, and what happens not too long after that? Another problem comes up. So when would Jesus have ever finished fixing all the problems of these people. There's a temptation, I think, here for Jesus to not fulfill God's call in his life, but instead to become a, a healer, to just come along and heal people's physical needs, just to come along and set them free from demonic possession, just to come along and to provide thousands of meals out of just a few loaves and fishes. It would have been tempting. And remember, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. It would have been tempting for him to give into that. To become popular. And that's what I want you to see. Jesus makes a decision here that says, I don't want popularity. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to cast it aside because popularity is not why I'm here. I'm here to do the will of the Father. That's what he was all about. The third, the fourth thing is this. Look at verse 38. And Jesus said to them, let's go on. Come back to this impatience with our disciples. Come back to the demands that they have. Come back to what they've seen Jesus do, the amazing miracles he's accomplished, the amazing work he's done, the salvation, the deliverance from demons that he's done, the the healing of a mother-in-law who was seriously ill. They've probably seen him feed a few folks already. And he says, let's go on a trip. Huh? What he's saying is this. I'm here to carry out God's falling. Let's calling. Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now, that Greek phrase there is an interesting one. Scholars have debated at what it means. I really believe, based on this verse and Luke's verse that's a, a, a twin to it, is he's saying, I came from God to do this. To do what? To speak the good news to share the gospel. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. He is at work here. What he's saying, I believe, in his fourth pillar is this. I'm more committed to God's plans than my own. Do you see the power there? The importance there. He said, said, I think Jesus had an opportunity here. If you were a businessman, you would have said this. Hmm. We can to collect a group, a group of folks around here in Capernaum. We could probably build a, a really nice facility and we could have services on the Sabbath where we could heal and we could set people free of demon possession and we could feed folks and we could just do amazing things right here. But that wasn't his calling. His calling was to take the gospel 
to other places to proclaim the good news of God, that salvation was here, that deliverance is available, that eternal destination can be assured, that there's new life in the here and now. And so what we hear see is this, a clear declaration of why Jesus came. He says, I'm here to do what? The will of the Father. The will of the Father. Preach the good news to whoever would listen and share the word. So what do we do with a passage like this? I love the obscure scriptures sometimes that we look at and go, well, that's a nice story, move on. This is one of those passages we read and go, okay, cool, next. But what does he mean by this? I believe there's something powerful here that we can grasp for ourselves, especially within context of the sermon series that we're in the middle of, of dealing with the power of Christian fellowship. What do you mean, Pastor? Help me out here. Well, I'll give you three thoughts. Remember, these are just the thoughts the Lord laid on my heart. You may come up with a whole different interpretation and a different application for you. Here's where I'm at. You ready? Number one is this. Prioritizing prayer enhances fellowship. Prioritizing prayer enhances fellowship. You know, we must never look at prayer as a duty to fill and check off for the day. I got to get up and I got to read my Bible, check. Got to spend some time in prayer, check, and move. No, that's not the relationship that God has for us. Prayer needs to be a priority that invades and infuses our days, that it's a priority to us. Now, you're probably thinking, so I got to get up early and go out in the dark by myself and pray? If that's what it takes to get you in front of the Lord, go do it. If you're not a morning person and you're going to go, if I go out there, I'll be asleep in three minutes, that may not be the best time for you to have a conversation with God. But it needs to be, don't miss this, a priority in your life. Can you imagine having uh, taking your, 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 your conversation with a close friend or with uh, a child of yours or a grandchild of yours or whatever and making it a to-do list item? Oh, I had to talk to my daughter today. Oh, I'm glad that's over. We would never do that, would we? I guess I better speak to my wife. How do you think that'd go? Not so good, huh? It should never be a duty that we perform but a priority in our lives that we get in front of the Lord and have an ongoing conversation, a regular going moment where we say, okay, here it is. I'm convinced that when we try to make prayer an event that we go into early in the morning and only early in the morning, we miss it. Or only in the last afternoon and only in the late afternoon, we miss the point of prayer. Prayer is about this conversation that we have with God that it is, this just flows and moves and is there. And the more we get to know Him and the more we have conversation with Him, the easier it is for that to happen. When we make it a checklist, we make it stiff, formal, and we miss the organicness, if that could be a word we make today, of prayer of conversation with him. See, as you and I grow in our relationship with the Father, what we discover is we begin to see his deeper and broader intent for our lives. We go, okay, God's calling me to this. He's calling me to here. And as we listen to his voice, because I can, can tell you for certain that God will never tell you to do something and tell me to do the exact opposite because that would be confusion in his kingdom. He will never say, you go do this, but now you go do this, it's the exact... No, that's not how it works. Somebody's on the wrong page. Priority 
of prayer will enhance fellowship. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. He, he, that's the chapter where we have the model prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We go right before that. Here's what Jesus said. Because he's talking about prayer there too. He says this, but when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Now, is he talking about a literal room with a door? Can be. But I think it's more this conversation we have. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do because they think that all the extra words they have will make their prayer heard. That's a paraphrase for you. God's call to those who, are, who follow him is to quietly and confidently enter into his presence. Can you pray at four in the morning? Yeah. Can you pray driving down I-30? Well, you better. Can you pray driving on 82? Just as important, right? It doesn't matter where we are, when we are, but that we're having this ongoing, regular conversation with God, and he's listening to our prayers, and we're having conversation with God. He's waiting, my friends, to move in your life. He just wants you to talk to him, and he'll do it. Second... Popularity, though, can divert us from God. Who among us doesn't like to be liked? We have special counselors on standby for those of you who like to be hated, by the way. Because if we're all honest, we like to be liked. We don't like when people dislike us, right? doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means we don't particularly care for it. There's a call in this passage, I believe, that we have to understand that in the body of Christ, there is one star. Capital S, star. And it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not him, and it's not her. It's Jesus. He's the star. And whenever we allow public opinion or perception of what we might do or might not do to drive our decision in that conversation with God we will often end up in a place we should never end up. We end up in places that, that really don't honor the Lord. And whenever we live with a diverted attention or divided attention, we find ourselves, listen, not only at odds with God, but at odds with each other. Because we're out here doing our thing instead of us doing His thing. I think Paul struggled with that issue. I think we struggle with that issue. Let me just confess. I struggle with that issue, okay? It's because it's human. Paul asked the church at Galatia some questions before he said, here's what it's all about. He said, for am I now, am I now seeking the approval of God, of, of man, or of God? Well, the answer to that is who? Better be asking for the approval of God. Or am I trying to please man? And he says, I think the implied answer there is, no, I'm not here to please people. Because if I were still trying to please man or people, that's the generic man, by the way, I would not be a servant of Christ. Being a servant of Christ is of paramount importance for those of us who profess to follow him. He says, I'm your master, we're his followers. He's the boss, we're not. We want to seek not the approval of men, the popularity of people, but the work of God in our lives. When we try to gain accolades of people, we will fail in following God. 
I've had a thought in my head for about 35, 40 years now of serving in churches and even before that I'm here for an audience of one. Do you know who that audience is? Jesus. And my prayer for you is that you live your life for an audience of one. Because I'm convinced that when we're all doing that, we're all going to be heading in the same direction because we're headed to the throne of God together. One more thought for you, and I'll be done. Purposeful living brings unity, provides unity. The call is surely not for each of us to live as the Messiah, because we're not. The call here is this, to find God's purpose, to find God's plan for our lives, and then go do it. Here's where a lot of times fellowship in, in churches is, is compromised. It's because we begin to think that our ministry is the most important ministry, and if you're not doing what we do, then there must be something wrong with you. Imagine with me, God lays on your heart to help start an orphanage in Haiti. Well, nobody in our church has done that. I have a friend of mine that, that she and her husband and some others did that and, and was amazed at that. But let's say you were called to do that. Well, how would you even do that? I don't know. I wasn't called to do that. I don't have to do that. But here's the thing. You get out there and begin to get involved. You begin to serve. And you begin to see God move. And you see amazing things happen. And then you start looking around going, well, they're not involved in my ministry. They must not love God. What? Well, they're not sending money to support this, so they must not care about these children. It has nothing to do with that, does it? It has to do with what God has called you to do. Where we get in trouble from a fellowship standpoint is when we begin to look at anyone who doesn't share our calling to a particular ministry as somehow inferior. Well, you don't do things the way I do, so you must be wrong. No, you're just different. Just different. I want to celebrate those differences because I'm convinced that the more of us that get on the page with God and doing what God's called us to do, the greater our fellowship will be. The more ministries that we'll see going, the more activities that God's going to bless in his kingdom because we're listening to his voice. You know, one of the greatest images in the Bible of Christian fellowship is of a body. Uh, Paul uses that a couple different times. And he talks about the some of us are our hands, and some of us are feet, and some of us are arms, and, and some of us are legs, and some of us are other things. And it'd be like me looking at my hand and go, well, you're not like my other hand, so I don't need you. What? I need both hands to what? To hold things. Or like looking at a foot and going, I don't need you. You're not like the other foot. What? That's crazy. Unity comes, my friends, when we choose to work together to do the things that God's called us to do in our own lane. And when they intersect, we support each other. And don't say, well, you're not doing it the way I do it, so you must be wrong. No one part of the body is more important than the other part. Aren't y'all grateful you have backsides on your bodies right now? It'd be hard to sit there, wouldn't it? Without it. That would be awkward. Over in the book of Ephesus, Paul wrote this. He said, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To fill a spot? No, for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Each one of us is shaped with a little different passion, a little different heart, a little different interest, a little different thing. And God takes who you are and can use you in the kingdom to accomplish great things. And it's okay if somebody else is doing something different. God wants to work through all of us. And when we do, we'll see God's fellowship grow. No role is of higher importance, greater importance than any other. My role is not bigger than yours. Sometimes we think, oh, well, he's the pastor. So what? I'm just one person as part of the body of Christ, right along with you. I have a different role. I'm the guy that gets to get up on talk on Sundays, which I've told you all before is not my favorite thing to do in the world. But here I am because God calls each of us. But how do you find those places in the kingdom of God? How do you find that respect for other roles in the kingdom of God? I'm going to tell you, until you know Christ, it doesn't work. You got to know Jesus and you got to let him fill your your heart and your presence and your life with his joy. And then you go, ah, that's what he's doing in me. So we want to give you an opportunity to respond if you need to this morning. Maybe you need to trust the Lord in salvation. Maybe you just need to become part of this fellowship. Maybe something else God's laid in your heart. We want to give you just a few moments this morning. Father, we thank you so much for loving us, for working in our lives in just amazing ways. Father, help us to see the value of each part of the kingdom of God. And each part is valuable. Each part is important. Each part has a place and a role to serve. And Father, we want to be those people. And we want to love and respect each other as a fellowship of God. We pray your hand on these next few moments as we maybe respond publicly. Father, for many, it's a private response that needs to happen right there in their seat where they are. We pray your hand on these moments in Jesus' name.